Did. Boys. Poe. There's no Blu-ray right now, and that's fine. And DVDs are a thing. And playing DVDs like DVDs are still a thing. I guess it's fine that Peter did not support me and doesn't care about how I think or feel. So okay, just record the podcast. Okay, ready to record? And three, uh, we've been two, recording one, for a good amount. Go. All right. Welcome, welcome to Pope Boys, everybody. Welcome, welcome back to Pope, to Pope Boys. Boys, everybody. I'm Pete. Um, this um, is Josh. Um, can't introduce myself. Thank you very much. I'm sorry Josh. Sorry that you had to listen to that therapy session, but. As you know, we are hashtag transparency boys. Call it more Um, of a discourse on the current multimedia landscape that will be referred to by the likes of AV Club for years to come. You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still pig. Puffer pig. Remember, nice nice staying on brand. Remember that. Um, do they have pigs? Well, I guess they do have pigs in Star Wars. There's that um. Well, there's that pig that's um, drinking from the trog, the trough, trough. In right, Force so it's not like a pig, pig. I mean, and it's, every time that thing comes up, we don't remember its name. <clears throat> Hapavor. It's a Hapavor. I'm pretty sure. Hapavor. Let's talk about this though. Every now and again, at least once, they straight up just reference a monkey, like not a monkey lizard. But I think Obi-Wan Kenobi or something says a line where he just uses the term monkey. Mm -hmm. I think it's in episode two. I don't know. I don't know what to Google to get this. But like, I don't know. Like the Kowakian space lizard, which is actually like a monkey lizard. Right. Well, it's called a monkey lizard. Is it called a monkey lizard or a space lizard? Why it's would it be called a space lizard? lizard? <laughs> I don't know. You're a weirdo. Um, oh, I'm the weirdo. Okay. Yeah. But there's. I'm pretty sure in episode two, Obi-Wan Kenobi says something about a monkey. I mean, he's just like, oh, a monkey. One of my like, favorite things about actual monkey? reading Star Wars books is they just throw in aliens and different species and different animals and they don't ex- like they barely explain them whatsoever. So like, if I just finished Alphabet Squadron mm-hmm. and I had to have Wikipedia, like, what what what's that one? Oh, all the proper nouns and stuff. Yeah, like oh, what, that's what that's <coughs> called. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Oh, unless we forget, Empire Strikes Back just straight up has like a boa constrictor in it on Dagobah. Like it's not they didn't put like a. Thumb helmet on it Didn't or they? anything. It's just a straight up boa constrictor. Am I just confusing Star Wars with, with Jungle Book, or is there a snake that talks in the series? I'm pretty sure there is. In Clone Wars. Yeah, in Clone Wars. There's like a serpent kind of character, but I mean that's animated. It's like a snake with frills. Like it's a snake in that it has no arms or legs or whatever. But like it's got fantastical qualities about it. And Empire Strikes Back is a snake. It's an Earth snake. Thank you very much. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but, I don't know, it's just interesting. How much carryover is there? Yada, yada. Fun times. Look, last week we were supposed to do another installment of our National Books Month series, Book Boys, where we talk about books. Hashtag Book Boys. Pete got to talk about his book, Lost Dooku Boy book, and I was going to talk about my book. Why do you always throw the word little there? Like, that's... 
That's just not yeah, even was, always with the little stuff. Always with book. just belittling stuff. And then oh, with my my big Josh book with all these big big pictures. You know. All right. You know what, Josh? Sorry. C- continue. Oh man. So tired. Um, I was gonna talk about my regular book. <laughs> Thank you. And then some news came out. Um, Disney, Star Wars, etc. was all tweeting like, "Oh, aren't we great? We're releasing Star Wars Resistance season one on video, but only on DVD, not Blu-ray." I took it hard. Peter did not support me. Um, long story short, National Books Month was canceled officially. By it's me. canceled. It's over. It's over. Your cancel um, National Books Month. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm man my word, and the situation hasn't much improved. Um, Star Wars and Disney are still being very tight-lipped about it. We reached out to Anthony Carboni and Andy Gutierrez as hosts of the Star Wars show. Uh, and we have to heard back. Fund their uh, a, a guerrilla journalism investigation of this. We've reached out to ProPublica. Um, no one has bitten quite yet. I think in large part because so much of our funds are tied up in a class action suit with Fabro Enterprises. That's neither here nor there. Um, we have ourselves been reached out to by parties who shall remain nameless, uh, and asked ourselves to investigate. And I should have thought this from the beginning because we have a long history of being hashtag detective boys. As you can remember, there was a theft on the set of the Mandalorian. We got to the bottom of that. It was obviously George Lucas using John Favreau as a patsy. Uh, it was John Favreau. <clears throat> sure, sure, sure. It, it definitely, you know what? Okay. Sure, sure, sure. We are hashtag detective boys. We are on a case. We are going to figure this out. Um, but investigations take time. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep you apprised of that as it happens. Well, we have we have a lot of feelers out. As you know, um, listeners, when detective boys are on, the, are on the case, we look for a couple things. We look for means. Who has the means to shut down the mm-hmm. Blu-ray? Mm-hmm. Right? Motive. Motive. Who in their right mind wants to stop Star Wars Resistance from having a Blu-ray section? Okay? Mm -hmm. So let's talk, at least today, about our first suspect. Okay? You may know him from being the director of Iron Man, from being the director (laughs) of the so-so movie Lion King, which just happens to also be having a Blu-ray coming out in a couple of months. And one is one more. I can't think of it. Sorry, there's one more, but I can't think of it with Vince Vaughn. Okay, it's fine. Um, with Vince Vaughn, yeah. Well, he's in Swingers, Ocean, Ocean's one. Eleven. Nope, Ocean's Twelve. Oh boy, Ocean's Thirteen. Look, it's probably John Favreau. It. Yeah, it was, it was John Favreau. I mean, he has <clears> the means, um, for some unexplicable reason. Um, he has connections to Dave Filoni. He has um, we've seen him with Big George once in a while, um, although they never come together. They are acquaintances, and then um, he has the motive because he knows that we are very close to Star Wars Resistance. Um, it's a project that we hold near and dear because our good good friend, um, the third Poe boy, um, Oscar Isaac, is on it as a guest star, well main star according to him. Mm-hmm. So. We're looking into that. Um, it actually coincides with our um, lawsuit against John Favreau. So we're currently we have our um, finance team that looks at looking into his financials, and we're looking at all options 
from our litigation team. Hashtag litigation boys. Yes, and I know what you're thinking. Hey, Po Boys, isn't Po Boys LLC and Favreau Enterprises engaged in a multi-pronged fiscal, legal, and corporate cold war um, that is spread out amongst multiple facets of society and culture and ingrained itself in the everyday lives of thousands, if not millions of people, and doesn't that therefore make you biased in your investigation? Look, we're not here to talk about that. Anyway. Well, it's also... It's it's hard to compare that to like some people have been saying that this fight between John Favreau and the Poe Boys is like the Smoot Hawley tariff of 2019. The Smoot Hawley tariff being one of the key indicators that led to World War Two and us going after um, John Favreau on Lion King, going after John Favreau um, on uh, the Mandalorian. He's just retaliating at us with his own uh, type of tariff. Hashtag his Blu-ray ban. Yes. And some other people are saying, hey, this sort of seems like a real world forerunner to the sort of dystopian corporate city state climate that is so often portrayed in any number of cyberpunk novels. You're not wrong. And you're not, you're wrong. not wrong. Look, all this is to say National Books Month is canceled. I will not change my mind. I will not apologize. However... August is, of course, we were not planning on celebrating this, but just having to line up this way, we figure whatever. August is, of course, Nonchal Fiction Month. Hashtag Nonchal Fiction Month. The whole month is dedicated to nonfiction and all these things. And the book I read, the regular book I read, uh, happens to be nonfiction. So we are going to cover it. Hashtag Book Boys. Hashtag smarty boys. Hashtag literate boys. Hashtag intellectual um, boys. Hashtag intellectual boys. Hashtag A boy C, like the ABCs uh, with a boy in it because um, of reading. We are going to cover it, but do not make a mistake, listener. This is not under the umbrella of hashtag National Books Month. National Books Month is canceled. Now, listeners, you might think, why am I listening to this? Because I am. Oh, you are thinking I'm that. still in school. And I'm only listening for the workout um, information. Well, here's something that you're going to find out is um, and we this hit us hard because we walked into, you know, the corporate um, sector and our reading. It weren't so good. Um, and we just got laughed out of a couple courtrooms, um, which is why he actually didn't. And I pretended to. Oh, like my a gosh. Reading, so and a Green Gables. Um, so. We had to, you know, read up and work out our minds. So uh, we do this a couple times a month. Uh, we just hit the books hard. Um, we read other other long books, um, very, very big books with very big words. Um, but then we also like to, you know, go back and read some stuff that's more leisurely. So, Josh, um, what did you read? I read Making of Solo, which I was able to get a copy of earlier at Star Celebration. They're selling it like a week or a month or something like that before it actually came out. I didn't read it early, but yeah, I got it. Actually, do that? I read a little bit of it early, but I, um, yeah. I, got I mean, the, who wouldn't do that? Yeah, I got is by Rob Bredo. I assume I'm pronouncing that right. If not, I apologize. Making Solo a Star Wars Story. Um, specifically... Uh, Industrial Light and Magic presents making Solo a Star Wars story. Now, 
I think one of the many things Star Wars has going in its favor that keeps it so fresh in popular culture is that it's uh, it's got fandom, but it's got like a multi-pronged fandom. And you've got, you know, the EU fans who really take in all the books and the uh, extended universe and stuff like that. And you have fans of the movies and fans who get into the mythos and yada yada. And I think you also have an entire contingent that's just fans of how they're made and the process behind all that and how they do AT-ATs and how they do the lightsabers and where the noises come from and yada yada. And I've always been pretty into those kind of things. Even as a kid, I watched a lot of making of features and stuff when I could get my hands on them. So I always make a point of grabbing these making of books when they're released. Um... I was wondering, and I'm sure many of you who are maybe also into this sphere of Star Wars fandom, why this movie, Solo, got a making of book. There are making of prequel books that came out when the prequels originally came out. I don't think they've been updated. I'm hoping we'll get some new ones of those at some point. But um, maybe 10 years ago or so, they released three making of books for the original trilogy written by this guy, J.W. Rinsler, that went very in-depth. They're really, really good. I can't recommend them enough. And when Episode 7 came out, he was going to write a making of Force Awakens book. They even had a cover image of it. And then somewhere along the line, I don't know, it got canceled. I'm wondering if maybe they want more time after those movies have passed to be able to reflect or something. I don't know. Um, So, yeah, I'm, of course, wondering, well, what the heck, why why Solo? Why not Last Jedi? Why not Force Awakens, Rogue One? But this is actually slightly different than Rinsler's books. This is written, this guy, Rob Brito, is the, um, he's a a co-producer, and he's the visual effects supervisor. He's on set. He's sort of the liaison between the production team on the ground filming every day and the post-production team at ILM doing the special effects and things like that. And he had a camera to take pictures for continuity, and to hear him tell it, he kind of realized, hey, I'm the only guy on set here taking a bunch of pictures of all this. I'm going to make a book out of this. And so that's how that went down. So this is sort of in a different vein than those Rinsler making of books. But it's very cool. It's got a lot of great photos and a lot of interviews. If you are someone who's interested in, like, what the different positions on a sprawling crew of a blockbuster film do, there are interviews with all kinds of people and stuff like that. And it follows, you know... The production of the film. It's not, you know, if you want a little bit more on the pre-production side, you can touch on the art book a little bit. And the post-production side is a little of that here, but it's mostly boots on the ground when they're filming. And it's got all kinds of neato burrito making of stuff. So it's kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but only from the post-production, the production crew? I don't know, Pete. I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But no, I'm going to say no. <laughs> okay. It's a very long movie. Two um, hours and 30 all right. Minutes, so, Josh, it. I've got some I got a couple questions for mm-hmm. you. Um, and I'm hoping to the best of your abilities, you'll be able to answer it because you just went off on that description of saying it's good for the making of. And I've kind of got some questions that might go a little bit beyond Great. that. So I'm just hoping that you can answer Great. them. Um, so my first question is, what did the Wookiees do to George Lucas and Ron Howard to upset them so much to turn them into slaves for this one and all of the other Star Wars series? What didn't they do? Interesting. 
I mean, it just seems like it's height envy. Height mm-hmm. envy, huh? Height envy. I mean, they don't say that it makes in so a lot of words, sense. In my but head. you can you can feel around the motivations whenever you hear Howard or Lucas talk. I had a question about: um, Do they show the aliens that are on the species that's on Mimbon? Yeah, I think there's a slightly better look at, at those. And if you want a really good look at them, you can check out the Visual Dictionary for Solo by Pablo Hidalgo. The Mimban aliens are freaking awesome. It's such a bummer that so much of that stuff got cut because the design and the costumes and all that is incredible. And you never actually get a good look at them during the Battle of Mimban. At the end of the movie, um, one of the one of the swoop bike riders in Emphas Nest crew takes off their mask, and they're a Mimban person. Mimbanite, I don't know. Oh, really? But okay. you, but you have no way of knowing that because you've never actually seen one. So it's like a reveal, but it's not because you don't know that because the movie deleted all of it. What's what are they called? Oh, Mimbanese. Sounds right to me. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this for the first time, and that at no point. What I have connected because right. it, it looks like kind of like a red it's lizard, sort of like amphibian-ish, if I'm recalling, or like yeah, um, it has amphibian reptilian, eyes for we'll sure. Say. Yeah, like a red reptilian mm. with like fish <clears throat> eyes. Um, I would have never connected that to the mud planet. Yeah, and I imagine that's one of the things that ended up on the chopping block, perhaps after the transition from Lord and Miller to Ron Howard. Now, the solo art book. I was very excited. That was the one that came out the same day as the movie. And historically, those books have been pretty cool because the the pre-production process will go will happen concurrent with some of the production on the film as well. And you'll get a lot of insight into what the director and the writers and all that are thinking and what they want visually from the movie and how their thought process on that adapts. And so I'm ready to read this art of solo book and I'm thinking, well, great, how does... How does Ron Howard come into this movie with the pre-production already done and the concept art already done and how much say does he have in this and how does it change from this pair of directors to this new director? And yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing. They don't even touch it. I don't even think they yeah, but that's, name that seems Lord normal though. It seems dumb. I don't know. Well, that's what I mean. That's what they they try to they try to to the best of their ability ex, explain um, or act like. They never had a son from the first marriage and that the son from the second marriage is the only son that that person ever had, which is, which is just dumb. anyone who is interested enough to be reading these books, though. They know that's not the case. And uh, I mean, you don't even have to because I wasn't expecting the book to be like, here's why Lord and Miller were fired. I don't need that. But you can tell me like, OK, so when Lord and Miller left and Ron Howard came on. Ron Howard had these ideas, and you know the uh, he brought this to the table, or yada yada. So this book, Making of Solo, doesn't get into the weeds, but it does touch on that a little bit, and touch on like how the entire production process had to shift and kind of go into overtime when Ron Howard hopped on board, and it touches on a few oh, things it says that he that tinkered about with. About overtime? Well, they never they never changed the release date. You know, so Lord and Miller leave, oh, and enough. then they hire a yep. new guy, and then he has to get up to speed. So all that time is time they're not shooting, and they're not going into post-production. And Ron Howard had a few different ideas, and I think they talk about him kind of changing and cutting some stuff out of the um, <clears throat> the the Kessel Run and things like that. So you, you get a little so bit So the Kessel Run was supposed to be longer? 
Uh, I believe it was supposed to be longer or different. I think they mentioned that Ron Howard brought in the monster. I think. And they do at one point, they have a picture out here of like a map someone drew out of the kind of route that they take and stuff. That's pretty neat. There's some really cool stuff in there. Well, it seems interesting that people talk about the Kessel Run being this like big dangerous thing when in Solo it sounds like they map that out for the first time. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again, I guess. Well, I think they don't map it out the first time. I think they have to map out an alternate route because I don't think they can take the most conventional route because the Empire shows up. So they have to, like... Oh, and that's, that's why happens. it's not that Han's... It's not that Han is faster than everybody else. It's, it's a short distance. He cheated. Yeah, he he cheated and did that. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, that checks cheat. out. I mean, if it's a race, but you know... But it's not a race. Or, well, if it's a run, it, you know, like... run is a route. Like, it's the only safe route out of that yeah so if, if you're if you're saying oh i'm i've taken this route so much faster and it's because but it's not faster it's shorter you, because parsec is famously a unit of distance not a unit of time okay if you do it shorter oh okay yeah but so in it and it <clears throat> this is my favorite solo bonus feature i'll say because i Solo, Blu-ray, of course, why would it? No commentary track, just like Rogue One, just like the first Blu-ray release of Force Awakens. Ryan Johnson, shout out for actually providing a commentary track on Last Jedi. That was great. Um, and I watched some of the bonus features for Solo. I didn't get too far into them. One of the early ones I watched was like this round table with the cast, who are all lovely, but like it seemed like very... Uh, manufactured and like written down questions and like a little too cute i don't know you're probably the wrong way this is much i i enjoyed this very much well there's only one of them that's like still connected to the star wars community really because it's not like i mean woody harrelson just moved on to the next project and then i feel like oh, donald glover and sorry uh, yeah um okay. yeah chewy yeah. Um, I don't feel like a lot of them kind of leaned into it as much. I don't know. I mean, give it time. Disney Plus now and things being reevaluated. You never know. You never know. But maybe when they maybe when they do a Han TV show. Yeah, could be. I definitely think that they would be if they're putting that money in um, and it doesn't look like what's the guy's name? Um, Starts with an A. Yeah, it's not like his career has, um, you know, continued to be Just super, super big. Off. He is on the USA television adaptation of the novel Brave New World. <clears throat> or he will be. It's, you... it's in pre-production right now. Um, yeah, so I guess I would say the coolest thing about this book, the coolest takeaway I had, is in the sequel trilogy... I found myself, and maybe it's just because I had read those making of the original trilogy books, so I just knew, had more information about the behind the scenes of those movies. But it really, those books really taught me how important innovation is to George Lucas and moving the ball forward, not just for his own movies, but just for what is possible in film in general and how, how much of a visionary he could be on those fronts. And so when, you know, Force Awakens or Rogue One and stuff was sort of leaning back on older stuff it seemed like like it was like oh we're going back to um a lot more live action stuff which is fine 
I don't know. For whatever reason, I just it didn't get that like spirit of innovation. I'm realizing now that's probably just because I didn't read a bunch of making up stuff. And I'm reading this making up book, and I, you really get that sense of like, no, nah, we're going to do stuff different. My favorite example was that there's a sequence where they rob the train, and they end up having to drop the cargo on that mountain range, and it explodes. There's a big explosion mm-hmm. on the mountain, and they're talking about, yeah, there's this huge history of explosions in Star Wars and epic explosions and Death Stars blowing up and yada yada, and we wanted to make this explosion different. So what they did was they made an explosion underwater, and like to do it, they made a recreation of the mountain range and put it in an aquarium and set off like a little explosive, but the little explosive was like so quick under the water that they had to get a camera that shot like, I don't know, 25,000 or some insane number of frames per second, and they filmed an explosion underwater in like a 3D model of the mountain range, and they used that. That's freaking cool. They're doing cool stuff, you know. They're using their imagination. They're pushing the boundaries. They're getting creative with it. And that's that's a thing that is two seconds long in a movie that everybody's like, eh, well, that good or whatever. It was like, you know, a lot of cool stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, the least cool part, which is not to say much, but they didn't, you know, there's like nothing on the whole mall of it all in the end, which I know is not a huge thing, but like syncing up the live action actor with, you know, a voice actor is something. That's some kind of special effect, and there's something there. I figured maybe they'd touch on it a little bit, but they didn't really. So they didn't talk about the CGI at all. Nope. No, <clears throat> not for that particular sequence. Not for. Because you'd think that um, John Favreau's character would have a couple pages dedicated to him. Well, but see, a lot of John Favreau stuff is pre-production. They, I, they think they touched on the actress who was the stand-in. For Rio Durant a little bit. Uh, they didn't really go too much into John Favreau recording the voice lines and stuff. They also have some excellent pictures. Like you'll notice now in some of the brief making of clips that they'll show at like Comic Cons and stuff. For Rogue One, I think was the first time I saw it. Rather than doing a blue screen or a green screen in front of cockpits now, they have this giant LED screen that they'll put a cockpit in front of and they'll film and the actor can interact with the scenes and stuff. And you get some really cool pictures of that technology and what it looks like from kind of further away. And it's like a recreation of the Millennium Falcon cockpit in front of this huge screen and they hit a button and it goes into hyperspace and like, it's really cool. Really, really so cool. So it's not VR? Uh, but without the goggles. I mean, it's just, okay. it's just like a huge screen in front of it. So the actor gets to see what they would be seeing in, in the... Yeah, and, and, okay. and cinematically, the camera gets lighting reference or some facsimile of lighting reference, you know, the light from the screen showing up on the actor's faces and stuff like that, as opposed to having to recreate all of that. They did a lot of stuff for this freaking movie. <laughs> I don't know why I keep plugging The Lion King, but they did, all the actors had, they plugged it all into a VR. Right. And then the actors were allowed to look around the world and then kind of do their lines through that and play around with it. So I'm curious if in sci-fi movies, if that's kind of what where we're moving towards to help with an actor with their performance, especially I was just listening to this interview with, um, do you know Tig Notaro? Yeah. Um, she's Under on the, Tignataro, great show on YouTube. Um, she was on, um, I, w- I want to say Conan or something. She's a comedian. She's on Star Trek Discovery season two. And she keeps saying in these interviews, like, I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> and, um, I, 
like fake turning knobs and <laughs> pressing um, buttons that aren't real is just completely lost on me. But man, am I a good actor? So I really, really sell it. <laughs> um, and that that might be something that kind of helps with that. I mean, I don't think Star Wars is one of those things where you worry like they're really phoning it in in terms of like interacting with the consoles and stuff. But it'll be interesting seeing this VR technology move further and further. Yeah, I mean, you you can, and it is not necessarily anything super new. You can look back at some of the making up for Lord of the Rings, um, and they set up a VR set for Peter Jackson. There's footage of him running around. They gave him, like, a camera, and they put him on the VR, and he could block a scene within um, that tomb that everybody gets attacked in in the mines of Moria, and he could he could walk around that set digitally in VR, and and map out his shots and how he wanted to film things and where he wanted stuff to be. So it's yeah, it's not necessarily the newest technology, but they're pushing it for, <clears throat> forward. And it drives home. I mean, I love Solo, but it's not, it didn't like set the world on fire at large, but it really kind of drives home the point. The thing I always try and remind myself is like. You could have the greatest costume designer in the world on a movie, and it could be the worst movie ever made, like because the writing sucked. You know, you never just or or the story. You right, know, right? And there's just like, so I think many of, people behind it. I think of um, Valerian and the um, City of a Thousand Planets mm-hmm. um, because that was so visually cool, but the story that they told was just so boring, um, which is why it kind of flopped. Right. And it, yeah, yeah. So and I mean, it's like you know, a, ba- a bad movie is a, a bad movie. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think by any means anyone needs to start loving movies because somebody worked hard on it. Somebody worked hard on all kinds of stuff. But you know, it kind of makes things just like cool things can happen behind any movie. You know, and, and particularly with these big blockbusters, there's a lot of creativity and energy that go into it. So it's pretty. And like you know, maybe next time you're in a blockbuster and it's big and dumb and you hate it. You know, focus on the sound design. See how that is. Look at the art design. Look at the sets. Look at the costumes. You know, maybe you'll be able to salvage some of it for yourself so it's not a total waste of two hours. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. Let's see. I had written so many joke questions. I think I only have one actual question yeah, of substance Yeah, no, keep going left. with the, the joke questions. So far, oh, two okay. out of two of them landed real good. Um, why did they use CGI mud? What? Okay. Um, was there an explanation for why John Favreau's character lived as long as he did? <laughs> I don't. I don't think they say John Favreau's name in the whole book. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty good sure. for them. Yeah. Um. Did Peta oversee? the octopus that was dressed up to be the monster in the maelstrom. No, they famously did that in international waters. Oh, okay. Which is like, okay, okay it's still an octopus, but yeah. Yeah. It's still, that was a little horrifying as I, I, I mean, I don't really know like that much about whether or not they're sentient and stuff, but yeah. it's still, I mean, it looked terrifying. Well, it's, um, it's actually an octopus that is half eaten a chihuahua. So the chihuahua, oh. front half of the chihuahua is out of the octopus mouth. Oh, it's the, oh, those <clears throat> are chihuahua teeth. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, the Chihuahua is fine. Is Solo the reboot of the Andy Griffin show that Ron Howard has always wanted? No, is the reboot of A Beautiful Mind that he never said publicly that he wanted. But, again, you read around the lines in the interviews, and it's very clear. Um, why have thinks, I never seen... He thinks of Solo as a young John Nash. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, why have I never seen an interview with L3? Uh, she's dead. Fair enough. Um, does this does the book have a section on ethics of a life form dating a robot? No, it has a section on ethics of a worm princess enslaving a shanty town of little orphans. Okay, and then I had a question about the time jump between Hanuk Karelia and Mimbon, but I just googled it and it was it's three years. It's thirty-five years. Yeah. Um, and then. Um, do they show Han's uniform and then a typical Stormtrooper's uniform? No, that would be more concept art. Okay. Because I really want to know, I would like to get into the details of why he's not dressed up as a Stormtrooper. Like, is he just the grunts that they send just to die? Yeah, I mean, he's not the only person dressed like that on Mimbam. But yeah, he's not a Stormtrooper. That's a good point. Or is it just because stormtroopers, you know, are so white and on mud planets that doesn't make any sense for them to be dressed like that? Well, they have I mean, they... Minben troopers. There's a specific action figure for it. They're barely oh, different, really? but I don't know. I okay. guess they're technically slightly different, maybe. And I mean, the if you look at the costume he's wearing on there, it's not entirely alien to the Empire. You know, he's got that dumb helmet that the AT-AT drivers or commanders rather have, um, and the you know the the chest plate armor and stuff like that is sort of. <clears throat> like, um, what's his name? Wears in Rebels. Callus, Agent Callus. He's got he's got that sort of chess piece. You know, we've seen the chess piece before. We've seen the helmet before. So it's not entirely alien to the Imperial aesthetic. But yeah, he's not a stormtrooper. Um, when they go into the planet that makes the stormtrooper helmets, I think that's when I'm going to put down Star Wars for a little bit. Um, I am glad that when we get explanations of like weapons and stuff or ships you show the planets but if i find out the planet where they um make the little helmets that'll just be a little bit too much for me Mm. Mm. does the book go deeper into beckett at all no okay they don't really touch too much on the writing you know, this is this is a lot, of, like I said, a lot of production, a lot of how are we going to film things? What do we need to make this work? What kind of sets do we need to build? What kind of filming techniques do we do need? Do they to talk? Use? Do they talk about locations at all? Oh, yeah. I don't even was it where 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 were all the places that they filmed? One of the first things they did was they went, and I believe it's in Italy, this mountain range called the Dolomites, which they end up using as the scene, the setting for <clears throat> the train heist, like this is, I think, still during pre-production. They had a team go out there and fly around in helicopters for, like, days and days to film the background footage to be used as the, you know, where the train is going. That's such a cool job. It's crazy. Well, and it sounds like it was kind of hard because they had to get the lighting right, and it was, like, very cold, and they were flying in helicopters and mountains, and people were throwing up all over the place. But, yeah, pretty tight. Do they, I mean, there's a, you know, the end has a sand planet scene, um, was that in Tunisia, Abu Dhabi? 
I don't remember where it was off the top of my head, but they talk. They do talk about it. I mean, they they, yeah, they definitely go into location stuff. Yeah, a lot. That's something too that maybe we just, we just at least for me, I wasn't as like locked into Star Wars as I was. Um, but as a younger person, or just like for Episode Seven, you know, you knew every single area where they were filming because mm-hmm. you know they went to. Um, Abu Dhabi and then that was um you know very well known and then they shot at um oh my gosh why am I forgetting the name in London it's where James Bond gets filmed too oh double seven the sound stage or whatever yeah um Lucas Lucas no I anyway um but I really didn't hear much if anything on this um which is probably because they were trying to keep things under wrap because there's so much turmoil with the directors. Yeah. Um, so Savarine, the planet at the end of the movie, was filmed in Fuerteventura. Is that like a suburb of California? Or is it in Arizona? Don't huh? know. But I guess um, we'll, who can Google it first? Well, I'm actually looking up Mimbon. It's, it's one of the Canary Islands. Oh. Part of the North Africa region. Politically part of Spain. Right. I completely forgot because that planet has a wa- like they're on the shore of a uh, water uh, yeah. of a planet. Yeah, I completely forgot. It's not just a sand planet. Yeah, but they sort of talk about like in scouting for it, the idea being it like kind of a, a old Western town. Huh. Like I did not know this about Mimbon being one of the earliest Star Wars planet ideas. Yeah, the name definitely has a history to it. I can't recall all of it, but I know that Solo is not the first place Mim Bam came up, whether that is in behind-the-scenes stuff or EU stuff, I'm not sure. Well, it's actually... There's three things. One, George Lucas, um, a direct quote, Bog Planet, we used it in the Foster book, which I don't know what that is. Yeah, okay, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Okay. The Alan um, Dean Foster. So I see, because I was going to say, I think that was where it came from. Came from. Um, it was one of the original ideas in the earliest Star Wars scripts. It could be the place where Skywalker uh, learns. Hmm. And then in Rogue One, it was what they wanted Jedha to be before they made Jedha. Uh, and then John Kasdan wanted it to look like the most hellish possible <clears throat> war environment. Hmm. But yeah, in, in Legends, the first piece of EU, probably, I'm, I'm pretty sure, was this novel Splinter of the Mind's Eye that came out in 1978, right after Star Wars, written by this guy, Alan Dean Foster. Um, it's, it's not canon anymore, it's Legends, but it is set two years ABY, which is two years after A New Hope, follows Luke Skywalker and Leia Organa to the planet Mimbim, where they seek out the powerful Kyber crystal, spelled all weird, and encounter Darth Vader. First installment in the expanded universe. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Mim Bam. Mim Ben. Mim Bin. Mim Bin. Mim Bin. <laughs> Loaded word. Loaded word in the Star Wars uh, universe. Mim Bin. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, Josh, that's all I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've said my, my piece. I liked it quite a bit. Looking forward to the to the art of Rise of Skywalker. That'll be the next kind of behind the scenes thing I delve into. Um, well, it looks like 
the ones that we're going to touch on, um, there's that um, Rise of the Resistance book, which is between 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll read yeah, that. But yeah, I, yeah, but Pete, that's, that's fiction. This is Nonchal Fiction Month. Oh, yeah. Well, once we get past August. Sure, sure. Yeah, when we do our... Um, um, watching prep for episode nine is what I'm talking about. Not for right. non-fictional month. Right. There's also this book out that came out not too long ago called the Star Wars Archives, uh, 1977 to 1983 by Paul Duncan. He's done a bunch of movie books. I have a book by him called the James Bond Archives, which is just a bunch of old interviews and stuff about like every movie in the James Bond franchise. And this covers the original trilogy. It looks pretty awesome. It's got a lot of interviews with George Lucas about the whole production process behind the original trilogy. I intend to get that at some point, but it's currently pretty steeply priced, so hopefully that'll go down at some point. But the same guy is doing another book, Star Wars Archives, 1999-2005, following the prequel trilogy, and I will buy that the day it comes out. I cannot wait. So, you know, if you're into that making of stuff. I'm shocked at how many times different Star Wars planets are referenced. Like, you look at the Wikipedia for Mimbon, and there's, like, 17 references. It's crazy. Thanks for listening, Pete. All right. So, if you'd like to get a hold of us, poboyspodcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter account um, is poboyspodcast. And follow us on Podbean so that we can uh, continue. All right. Later.